I'm so glad to have you at church tonight. Uh, I believe that God wants to do something good in your life, and I really believe that this new series is going to be a lot of fun. We're starting a new series of teaching called Live Like a King or Queen for the ladies. You know, we don't want to leave you out. You're totally included in this. We're going to be studying the life of David. He is one of the most epic figures in the Bible, one of uh, the most just incredible, legendary heroes of the people of Israel and the people of God for thousands of years. David, he started from humble beginnings. He was the youngest of eight sons of Jesse of the tribe of Judah. And if you kind of go back in his lineage, you'll realize he's just five generations removed from slavery in Egypt. His great-grandparents were Ruth and Boaz. How many of you know if you're single ladies, you need to find yourself a Boaz? Amen? Get rid of that broke ass. Get rid of that cheating on your ass and get yourself a Boaz. Man of God. His great-great-grandparent, his great-great-grandma was Rahab the prostitute. So yeah, he's got family drama like a lot of us. He's a legendary figure, right? He's a giant slayer, David. He was a warrior, a lover, a poet. Um, He was a musician and even a prophet at times. But then he was famously flawed as well. So at times we see that he committed adultery. He had concubines, which I don't think most wives would appreciate, right? He was a mercenary at one point. He had a protection racket that he was running like a mafia don. He mercilessly killed his enemies. Like even the Philistines would be like, whoa, that guy is harsh. So David, he, he was kind of a flawed character. One of his wives hated him. One of his own sons tried to take his throne. So in the ups and downs of David's life, we see truths and values that encourage and apply to our lives. But I love the fact that David is both so epic and flawed because we relate to that. In his moments of victory, we're inspired, but also in his moments of weakness, we're reminded that he's a sinner just like us who needs a savior. And his life, his flawed leadership serves to point us to a greater leader, a greater king who would come through his family line a thousand years later named Jesus, who would be the king of all kings, which we've always been looking forward to and longing for. So we're going to talk about this. The background of where we're going to pick up tonight in 1 Samuel chapter 16, really kind of the beginning of David's story, is that God had given the nation of Israel a king named Saul. He wasn't going to do that, but all the people were asking God for a king. They said, we want a king. And God said, no, you don't want a king. Trust me. And they're like, yeah, we want a king. All the other countries around us have a king. We don't want to be the only ones without a king. Long live the king. And God said, no, trust me, you don't want a king. He's going to tax you. He's going to conscript your sons into the military. He's going to be hard on you. You don't want a king. They said, we want a king. We want a king. And so God gave them Saul. He was anointed as king. And he had good moments as king, but he eventually was rejected by God because he was not loyal to God and he disobeyed God's clear commands. And so this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. I mean, what an epic beginning to a story, right? Who would not want to be chosen by God to be the next king of his people? 
And so I want to talk to you tonight about being chosen, about being selected. David, he would be selected to be king. And it's an amazing story. We're all kind of obsessed with royalty, especially in our country. Even though we broke free from the monarchy, we're now a little bit obsessed with it. It's just kind of this mystical, magical thing. Princes and princesses and Americans have royal wedding watching parties, you know, my wife, just a few weeks ago, had a royal wedding watching party at our home at 3 a.m. with tea and pastries. I was sleeping because I'm a guy. I mean, come on. I can watch the highlights later. <laughs> but like every wedding, it was boring. That's <laughs> my, my takeaway. But still, I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that, I guess? Especially for a young lady, right? That's like your fantasy come true. A real, live, average American girl would become an actual, legit princess. Hello, Disney fairy tale in the making. And, and this resonates with us. It's like every fantasy story ever told. King Arthur, right? Just a young, average boy who becomes this epic king, it's a legend. Or, um, you know, Lord of the Rings, Frodo, average hobbit, becomes a hero, right? This is the story that we tell again and again, and it resonates with us. We have real live heroes as well, like Joan of Arc, a 16-year-old something, French girl without any military training who apparently received a vision from God and led the French armies into victory in battle. Even though she had no military training, she was advising and leading armies and defeating people uh, in battle. So that's kind of crazy. Uh, FDR, one of the greatest presidents in American history, many people believe. He's the only one who served more than two terms, but he was handicapped and he was afraid of public speaking, but he went on to be a great leader. And so inside our hearts, we resonate with stories like this because we all long to matter. We all have a desire inside of our hearts for significance. We want to be special. Look at your neighbor right now and tell them you're special. But make sure you mean it in a loving way, okay? We want people to see value in us and pay attention to us. It's why people make fools of themselves to get an audience on YouTube. It's why young kids will study hard in school to get good grades and be ranked high in their class. They want to be ranked and noticed. It's why people will work hard to get promotions. It's why politicians will undergo incredible scrutiny on the campaign trail so they can get hopefully elected into that office. They want to rise. They want a chance to be noticed, to have influence, to be valued. But even while some people work hard, and get ahead and even seem to catch good breaks, other people are sometimes left behind. Maybe you've ever felt like that. Left behind, forgotten, waiting for your big break, waiting for your opportunity, waiting for other people to see the value in you. And I think we thirst for that. We thirst for that longing to be noticed and valued. And so we can often chase after that longing and we can pursue unhealthy things that actually hurt us seeking significance and value. So sometimes people will become workaholics and they'll ignore their families at home, working 80 hours a week, trying to get a promotion, trying to get their boss to notice them and realize that they're special. Sometimes people will become sexually uh, kind of on a conquest and they figure if I have a lot of partners that will signify that I'm worth something or if I can accumulate enough wealth in my bank account, people will have to pay attention to me. In the life of David, we get to watch our fantasy become reality. 
So here's what we read, this story. God sends Samuel to find the next king, and Samuel goes into this search process with previous expectations framing his expectations for the future reality. He's looking for the next Saul. He's looking for another Saul. Remember, the Bible said that Saul was head and shoulders above all the other men in the nation. He was literally tall Saul. He was kind of a big guy, and so Samuel thinks, man, the next king, he's probably gonna be like Saul. So here's what God says to him in verse six. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, that was the oldest son of Jesse, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We have a tendency to look at people and make snap decisions based on outward appearances, don't we? I mean, we can't really even help it. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. That's just what we do. We look at people, we say, oh, he looks sharp. He must have his act together. Oh, man, look at, look at her in the car she drives. She must be successful. We judge by outward appearance, by how much we make, by what kind of clothes people wear, uh, by what kind of titles or degrees they have, uh, how many Instagram followers they have, whatever it is. That's how we assess value as humans. It, we can't help it. It's just kind of our nature. But God doesn't look at people that way. He looks at the heart. We need to understand that. We need to understand that God truly looks at the heart and not the outward appearance. That would save us from so much worry, wouldn't it? So many hours spent in front of a mirror looking at yourself saying, I hate my body. I wish I didn't look like this. So many hours uh, being afraid and timid when God is trying to give you opportunity to preach the good news and share Jesus with other people. And yet we let fear, outward appearance issues, wondering what do people think of me? Those type of thoughts keep us from being who God called us to be. We get all worked up measuring ourselves against a standard that does not matter to God. Samuel was getting ready to Look for the new king based on the qualities of the last king. And we do the same things to ourselves. We think, well, if I don't look like him, if I don't have his credentials, I don't have a PhD, I can't, I can't do that. And we'll oftentimes hold ourselves back from really fulfilling our true potential. And we need to know, God does not judge us the way that we typically judge each other. The kingdom of God works differently. God lifts some people up without regard for the fact that they might have lacked education or pedigree or wealth, and he takes other people down even though they have incredible leadership giftings or they come from the right family because he judges the heart, not the things that we judge. And that's good for you. That is encouraging to us, I think, as believers because there will be times you'll think, man, I don't have the pedigree and I can't get ahead and I don't have the time to go get a degree. You need to know that if you keep working on the quality of your heart, God has the opportunity to lift you up into incredible positions of influence. God is the perfect judge and he's a good judge because he can see inside of us. He can see our thoughts. He can see our soul. He knows our motives for why we do the things we do. So God never unfairly punishes an innocent man. And he never accidentally rewards someone who doesn't deserve it. He is a good judge. When the world is looking at the 
For people who have the right style and the right pedigree, God's looking for someone who has the right heart. And this is encouraging to us that he can see, he can see us for who we truly are because I think there's been times when we've all thought, I wish people could see the value in me. I wish people could see the potential that's really inside of me. If someone would just give me a shot and see my worth and see my giftings, I know I could do great things. You need to know God is saying, I do see inside of you. I do see your value because I created you. I know your giftings because I placed those giftings inside of you. And if you'll trust me and if you'll pursue me, I will lift you up. This is encouragement for us. Come on, give God praise right now. We know God's good. God wants men and women whose hearts are aligned with his hearts, who live righteously, with integrity, in humility, people who love other people. And I believe that King Saul is a warning to us. He had the throne, but he lost it. He lost it because his heart was not right. And it shows us that talent can only take you to where your character can keep you. A lot of people advance because of talent, being in the right place at the right time, but if their character is not solid, they don't have a heart after God's heart, eventually they fall, don't they? How many newly elected uh, politicians have we seen have to resign in just the last couple of years? You gotta worry about, worry about your character. And I wanna ask, do you have the heart of a king or of a queen? The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. So here's Samuel, he comes to Bethlehem and he's ready to anoint the new king and he's got this flask of oil he's gonna pour out. That's how they anointed people in those days. So the first son of Jesse comes up, the oldest, Eliab, and Samuel's like, oh, here we go, oldest son, that makes sense, that's how things usually happen. He goes to anoint him and the Holy Spirit checks him and says, nope, that's not the one. Okay, well, then it must be number two, Abinadab. All right, here we go. And God says, nope, I don't want him either. And then, okay, well, it must be Shimei, a number three. I'm going to anoint him. Here comes the oil. And God says no. So then here's what we read in verse 11. Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Hello, that just makes me feel awkward. I'm going to be. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. I love this exchange. I think it's one of the funniest exchanges in the Bible. Here's Samuel ready to anoint the next king. And he's trying, you know, to find the guy. And he looks at Jesse here. I'm ready to anoint the king. You know, you gathered your sons together. Are these all of your sons? And I think Jesse was like, yeah, yeah. It's like, are you sure? Pretty much. Like, what do you mean pretty much? Well, there, there is one more out in the fields. He's the youngest. Don't really worry about that. I mean, that's pretty messed up, right? I wonder how long did it take David to forget his dad, forgive his dad for leaving him out of this moment where the man of God came to anoint the next king of Israel. That's not very good fathering right there, right? Like I know when you have a lot of kids, you start to mix their names up and you leave them at the pool on accident. It happens. But I just feel like when God's going to select the next king, you should probably bring all your sons together. That's what we see happening. He says, 
this is uh, David. There's just this one son. And, and in those days, what they would do is they would send the youngest, the lowest member of the family out to take care of the flocks. Most families would have had some cattle. And so they sent David out, watch the flocks, take care. That's what you did with the youngest. They're not good for anything else. You know, take the trash out, go get the mail, uh, watch the sheep. That's pretty much it. So he's like, well, where, where's your other son? Out in the field. You don't got to worry about him. Just the run of the family. And Samuel says, go get him. He, he, he was forgotten in that moment, but you see that God, he still knew that David was out in the fields. And I've been thinking about this, how David was left out in the fields as everybody else had gathered together. And it made me think, do you ever feel sometimes like you've been left out in the fields? Like there was something good happening, but you were left out of it? Like other people were getting ahead, but you weren't? Have you ever been in a situation where other people were promoted and got opportunities, but no one even considered you? Maybe you have felt like David felt, out in the fields, forgotten and alone. I want you to know that God sees you in the fields. Even when other people forget you, God has not forgotten you. He sees you in the fields. He honors those who serve and do the jobs that no one else wants to do. And in this situation with David, the forgotten son would become the guest of honor at this coronation dinner. Samuel said, uh, we're not going to eat until he gets here. How many of you know that's not the way it works in large families? Right? In large families, the youngest is lucky if he gets any food. Your family might just have dinner without you. And if you were playing video games in your bedroom, tough luck for you. Now the tables have turned. Samuel says, we're not going to eat till he gets here. He's the guest of honor. He's the one who God wants. I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. God chose David, the eighth son, the youngest son in the lowest position. That would be the next king. And I think that's a foreshadowing of the things that would come in the future. In the Bible, oftentimes, the number eight is associated with new beginnings and resurrection. Abraham uh, told the Israelites God had said they should circumcise the male children on the eighth day, which signified this new covenant with God. Jesus came out of the grave on the eighth day. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the first day of the eighth week. So this number is significant. I don't think it's an accident. I think it foreshadows that Jesus would also come to the most humble section of society, being born into a poor family. He would not come with accolades. And it kind of shows us that God, he loves to take those from humble beginnings and lift them up. He loves to do great things through those who society has forgotten about. So if people have forgotten about you, that's a good sign that God might be ready to do something great through you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Will you turn to your neighbor right now and tell him, I choose you? Tell your neighbor, I choose you. Okay, now look at the person you didn't choose and say, sorry. Right? I just want you to know, right? It feels good to be chosen, but sometimes we're not, and that can sting. We all want to be chosen. We all want to get picked. But sometimes people pass over us and they overlook us. But we see with God that we are his chosen people. Even though your neighbor at church might not have just chosen you, God says, you are my chosen people. I have chosen you. And I think what's so funny about the Lord is he lives outside of time. And so in my mind, I think he chose all of you at the very first 
point at the same time. All of you were God's first choice, his best choice. He didn't have to rank you in order and start with the best and then eventually get to me, okay? That's what would have happened if a committee was in charge of salvation. I don't know if you had committees in your churches growing up, but they're of the devil, not of Jesus. The, com the committee would have said, Jesus, who do we need to allocate our resources to? Who should we go after first? And Jesus said, all of them. The committee would have been like, we need to focus, though. Who's the best? We should save them first. Jesus said, okay, I want to save everyone first. So you are God's first round draft pick. You need to know that. And that should be an encouragement to you that when other people have rejected you, you can remember God has already selected you. He has chosen you as his own possession, his special people. And he wants you to put more weight in his approval than the approval of men and women. You'll find so much freedom when you'll only start to worry about God's approval. And if you remember, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, then you know I have already received his approval. It's not based on me having a good day or a bad day. If you make some mistakes this week on Wednesday, you can turn and ask God for forgiveness and not have to worry that you've lost his approval. His approval of you does not rise and fall based on your performance during the days of the week. We realize this, right? His, his approval of you is based on the perfection of Jesus, which is a steady, excellent grade. So it does not waver. He loves you as much on your good days as your bad days. God chooses those who are from low beginnings, and he has this tendency to do that, to choose unlikely heroes from humble beginnings. God gave David a humbling job as a shepherd. He sent Jesus into a humble family, and he develops royalty out of humility. That's what he does in us. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. God does this thing where he opposes those who are proud, who are prideful, who are haughty, who think they're awesome, but he gives grace to the humble. This is why Christianity is different than every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says you've got to earn it, you've got to achieve it, and if you're good enough, if you say the right prayers, if you go on the right missionary journey, uh, then you can be saved. Do you see the problem with that? It leads inevitably to pridefulness. Every other religion in the world, it leads to pridefulness which was the source of the first sin. In the first, see, in every other religion, you can say, I did it. I'm the Superman. I lived up to the standard. I achieved salvation. But Christianity alone, it says you can be saved by humbling yourself, recognizing that you can't do it, and calling out to God to save you. He alone does the work. You receive salvation by grace. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before the Lord. This is why it's possible for a Christian to be totally humble and totally confident at the same time. It's true. You can be totally humble and totally confident at the same time. It's not a balance thing. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. Keep it 100-100. 100% humble, 100% confident. We can do it through Jesus. As Christians, we can do it uniquely because we get to say, I'm humble. I'm humble because how do I know I'm humble? Because I recognize that I can't save myself. 
I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. Any good thing that happens in my life is because of God's grace, not my awesomeness, right? And it's not being phony. It's not being a false sense of humility, right? It's just the truth. It's the truth. I, I recognize I don't deserve God's love. And it helps us to stay humble. But we can be totally confident in the midst of that humility and say, he is good enough. He is strong enough. He is almighty in control, all-knowing. He guides me, right? And we can say, because God is on my side, I'm totally confident. It's not, it's not pride in myself. It's confidence in God. So what we need to learn how to do is turn the enemy's weapons around on him. I think that's like the best warfare tactic when you can take the enemy's weapons and turn them around on him. So when the enemy attacks you and says, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. Look, here's, here's what I, I like to do. I like to say this. You're right. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not strong enough. But I know someone who is. He is strong enough. He is smart enough. He is good enough. He's all powerful and he's living inside of me. So thank you for the reminder that I'm not enough. It helps me to stay humble and it ultimately points me back to my savior who is enough. I'm confident in Jesus. David had a lowly job as a shepherd, but he was not insecure. He did not have an insecure attitude. He could have had an insecure attitude when he was anointed and said, I'm just a lowly shepherd, but he was a confident kid. His confidence, though, was in God. God had anointed him as the future king. Samuel came and he poured oil out on David. This is how they would anoint people in those days. They would anoint priests and kings like this. And it was the signifier that the spirit of God was poured out on those people in a special way. And the anointing of God on his life allowed him to go forward and do great things from that day forward. Even though he didn't go immediately to the palace, he went back to the fields and he had some challenges, but he was able to overcome those challenges because the anointing of God had already been poured out upon his life. Here's what you need to understand. God's anointing has already been placed on your life. And maybe someone didn't dump a flask of olive oil on you, but something better has happened. The spirit of God has been poured out upon you. It's a lot less messy and it's a lot more effective. It's lasting, right? And you need to recognize as a Christian, the spirit of God dwells inside of all of us. So there is a seal of guarantee and a deposit of guarantee inside of us. The seal of authority, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. But then as believers, we have the opportunity to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit and say, God, Pour out your spirit upon me. Cover me from head to toe. I want your anointing on my life. We should pray for God's anointing on our life. Anointing will take you so much further than gifting. Anointing will allow you to do for God what you could not do in your own strength. Anointing will allow you to be a good father who stays in that messy situation. Anointing will allow you to be faithful to your husband even when he's not being loving to you the way you wish he was. Anointing will allow you to preach the gospel to people who don't even want to hear what you have to say and still be effective and break through their hard hearts. We need God's anointing on our lives. And I hope you'll pray for it and ask him to fill you up. Fill me up. And if you've never done that before, you can do that at any time in your car, in your shower. You can pray, Lord, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. I want your overflow of power in my life. I need it. I need your anointing on my life. You can do that. 
I want you to understand there is no room for insecurity in the heart of a Christian. There is no room for insecurity in your heart as a believer in Jesus. When the Spirit of God comes and takes residence inside your heart, he evicts the spirit of insecurity. And so you need to allow, if you haven't yet, you're fighting against what God wants to do. You need to recognize it's not about me, it's about God inside of me. And some, some of us have limited ourselves and held ourselves back because we've been thinking about ourselves. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough. Make it about God. Put your focus on the spirit of God inside of you who enables you to do what you could not do. You'll start to feel confidence rising up in you. Do you believe that? First Peter 5, 6 says this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. We read the first part of that verse. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. At the right time, he will lift you up in honor. I love that phrase. A lot of times we hear this promise that God will lift us up and we ask, When? When is that going to, can I get an itinerary, please? I don't know when God's going to lift me up. Maybe some of you ladies are like, my girlfriend got a husband. When am I going to get my husband? Maybe you've been waiting for that promotion. You heard at the right time, God's going to lift you up. And you're like, okay, let's do this. But just remember, God is going to lift us up at the right time. His timing is perfect, okay? David was anointed as the future king. And then he went back out into the fields to take care of sheep. I would have been frustrated. If that was me, I'd have been like, no, no, no. You see, I don't go back to the fields. I'm going to be the king. And they said, you can go back to the fields. And I think God knew that David needed to go take care of some sheep to prepare his heart, his heart to lead the people. You can learn some good lessons taking care of sheep. You know that? Because sheep are dumb. And people can be dumb, can't we? <laughs> Sometimes you got to make people lie down in green pastures and rest. Sometimes you got to protect people from predators. Sometimes you have to carry people when they're too weak. And, and we can't get frustrated about this season of waiting. We should not, we should not resent that, that season of waiting. Because God will often use that delay to develop our character. And prepare us for what's before us. So when you're in one of those seasons of delay, you can have a, a joy in your heart knowing God's getting ready to do something in me. He's teaching me valuable lessons that will carry me through future seasons. So I'm gonna receive this. I'm gonna embrace this season of delay. I'm gonna believe that this delay is part of my development. It's not gonna frustrate me. It's gonna propel me forward. I can trust God. It's his timing. It's his time. David did not have to start a campaign to go become the king. He waited for God's timing, right? You don't have to figure it out. When God's made a promise, what he's gonna do in your future, you don't have to kick the doors down. You don't have to go become political and try to make it happen. You don't have to move people out of your way or knife them in the back to try to get ahead. You can trust that in the right time, God will lift you up in honor. Right? You don't got to be like Simba. I just can't wait to be king. Right? Like, just wait. You're going to be king at the right time. God will lift you up at the right time. You can trust him and you can be encouraged that he will lift you up. That's what that verse said, right? Not you got to claw your way to the top. He will lift you up. So I can do the waiting and God will do the raising. He will lift you up at the right time. You can trust him. You can trust his timing. He is good. 
at the right time, he will lift you up. At the right time, he will bring that perfect spouse into your life. At the right time, he will give you that creative breakthrough. He will give you that promotion opportunity at the right time. So here's a takeaway I want for you tonight as we go forward into this week. I want you to remember this. God sees my value even when others don't. Even though the family of David had forgotten about David, God still saw him. And if you go through one of those seasons where you feel like, man, people don't really care about me, they don't see my value, I feel underappreciated. I wish people would notice me. I wish someone would thank me for what I do, right? You need to know God sees your value even when other people don't. And I hope that this message will help us in this way, that as we go forward, we're gonna come against times where we'll feel a desire, a longing for approval. We'll wish, man, I wish people would tell me, good job. I, I wish other people would notice me and, and cheer when I came in the room, right? Like, we'll feel that desire, that longing, and we have to recognize what that really is. Not get caught up chasing after the wrong things, trying to satisfy that desire, but recognize that I'm longing for something right now that only God can truly fulfill. And so I'm gonna look to him. Instead of hoping other people will notice me, I'm gonna notice him noticing me, okay? God has given me the approval that I'm longing for, and so I don't have to chase it in other people. And when you encounter people in your lives, in the workplace, and in your family, you're gonna recognize them chasing after approval. You're gonna see them chasing after girls, trying to get more money, uh, trying to show off that new fancy car, and you're gonna register this in your heart. That person wants approval. What they're really looking for is Jesus. So I'm gonna tell them about Jesus, the one who wants to love them unconditionally. God will use you in that way. So let's do this, let's bow our heads at this time. And I wanna give you an opportunity if you're here, maybe you've never submitted your life to Jesus. Maybe you have a long time ago, but then you ran from him and you've been distant for some time. This is a great opportunity for you to turn back to him and to surrender your life to him as Lord of Lords. If you'll recognize that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross on your behalf, and that he rose again. The Bible says you will be saved. If you call out to him to save you, he will save you. This is a promise in the word of God. So if you're feeling this drawing on your heart right now to, to turn your life to Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit of God who is moving in this place, and he is the one who is drawing you to Jesus as Savior. So you can choose to reject that or respond to it and say yes. You can say yes for the first time, or yes, I'm gonna recommit my life to him right now. I wanna do it right from this day forward. So we're gonna pray this prayer. If that's you and you're like, I'm ready, I wanna do this, then pray this prayer with me. It's not a magic prayer, but it expresses what's in your heart. Just say, God, I know that I've sinned and I need your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus took my place on the cross, even though he had lived the perfect life I could not live. And I believe that he died there in my place to pay the price for the sins that I would commit. And yet I believe that you rose, him, you lifted him up again. You raised him up from the grave so that I could have eternal life. And so I received that gift through faith. Lord, I wanna follow you from this day forward and I thank you for loving me. Even though I don't deserve it, I know you love me and I receive it. I am ready to be adopted into your family. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Once you stand to your feet at this time, we're gonna get ready to respond in a moment with a time of quick worship. But I just wanna pray for you. Uh, and I wanna start with this. If you just 
prayed that prayer to accept Jesus, we want to celebrate with you uh, and recognize what God has done in your life. So if you just pray that prayer, just shoot your hand up real quick so I can just cheer with you. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? So good. Anybody else? Say, that's me. So good. Awesome. That is the best decision you could ever make. Now, I want to pray for the rest of us as a church. I want to pray first for anyone who has wrestled with insecurity and has felt that holding them back and you worry about what other people think about you at, uh, at times too often and you uh, oftentimes you assess your own self-worth based on the way that you look or on what people think about you. And that is not what God has for you. That's not his plan for your life and that's not his will. He wants you to live in the joy of his acceptance. He wants you to walk with confidence. And so we're gonna pray for you. This is a two-part prayer. And we're gonna pray for any Christian who says, I need the boldness to stand for Jesus. Right, you wanna do something great for God, but maybe you feel like, man, I haven't been able to do it in my own strength. I always back down, I always become nervous. I don't know what to say. Listen, you need the Spirit of God to work through you. In the book of Acts, the disciple Peter, who at one point rejected Jesus and denied him, was baptized with the Holy Spirit and then preached the gospel boldly and 3,000 people were saved. The Holy Spirit can empower you to do what you could not do in your own strength. So we're gonna pray and if you would like God to fill you with the Spirit of God, then just open yourself up to Him and say, Lord, I ask you to fill me up with your Spirit. I ask for all of your power in my life. I want to do great things for your glory. That's our prayer as a church. So let's lift our voices together and pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray against any spirit of insecurity in this place. We pray against self-doubt, Lord, against self-loathing, God. You have created us in your image. You don't make junk, God. You have made us beautiful and you judge the heart. Lord, I pray that anyone who is here who has wrestled with insecurity will stop looking to themselves for a sense of self-confidence and start looking to you, Lord. I pray that every Christian in this place who is open will be filled with your spirit, Lord. Would you fill them right now from their heads to their toes, God. Equip them for the ministry before them. Empower us for what is before us, Lord, that we would reach the multitudes for Jesus, God. We want to see everyone come to know your great name. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do through us, God. I thank you for your goodness. Every time the enemy reminds us that we're not enough, we're going to point to you and declare your greatness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's sing this out.